There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are in France. Which means Tubi is more popular than cigarettes for breakfast. It's more popular than considering iced coffee a total abomination. More popular than loving political revolutions. More popular than mer and mer somehow being different words. Tubi, it's more popular than being French. See you in there. Save big money on everything. Now at Menards. Make quick work of your outdoor cleaning project with Masterforce Outdoor and Landscaping Tools. The 80-volt cordless trimmer is powerful, efficient, and hassle-free. So you spend less time working on your yard and more time enjoying the results. On sale now through May 19th. Check out our wide selection of Masterforce tools and see the rest of our deals on Menards.com. Save big money at Whatever thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no hollow, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink, thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not, through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome, creeps and peepers, to Scared to Death. I'm Dan. Hi, Dan. I'm I'm Lindsay. Do you, do you Lindsay? know me? I know you. I know you. What's up? Uh, you've all come to the right place for chills, if that's what you were seeking. The right place for true horror. Possibly uh, true horror. Possibly true horror. You don't know if it's true. Well, it's classified as true horror. But you're right. We don't know mm. that any of this stuff is true. But people are people claim... This stuff to be true. Outside of the occasional urban legend, which I rationalize as being possibly based in some kind of truth. Yeah. And I just like to tell them. They're some of my favorites. Uh, thanks again for the continued uh, reviews and ratings online. The best way to uh, spread STD. Uh, this is the best STD to spread. Actually, I got an email recently that they're no longer called STDs. And I forget. Oh, what it's STI. She was like, so don't even worry. You're fine. Okay. Then perfect. Perfect. Thank uh, you. Uh, well, we'll... we'll <laughs> Spread this one. Spread this show. Spread this show like an STI. Uh, yes. And one with no symptoms other than maybe nightmares. Right, right. But yeah, that's how people find us. That's how mm -hmm. you help the show grow. That's how we get to keep doing what we're doing. So mm -hmm. ratings, reviews, all the things. Thank you. And one more reminder for free comedy. Uh, search Dan Cummins' Get Out of Here Devil uh, right now on Pandora to listen to my third one-hour special, seventh widely released stand-up album now for free. Yay! Uh, and you can also watch on demand cable and on Amazon and elsewhere right now as well. And you can get the album on iTunes and Spotify if that's your preferred audio platform May 1st, which is possibly right now for a lot of you if you're not listening to this on the, the day it came out. I, I should probably watch it. I mean, I was there. You were there at the taping. When they did the thing. Mm -hmm. But I want to watch it. Yay! Uh, new Satanic Carnival shirt in the store that references that story from episode yeah. 28 of the same name. Super fun. Super spoopy tea. Spoopy. It's spoopiest. It's badmagicmerch.com. Logan put a little extra spoop on it. <laughs> Went heavy on the spoop. Gosh. <laughs> but seriously, it's super cool. And uh, how many stories do you have today? I have two. And what okay. I am excited about is that uh, like the previous week, I had two that were like military based. Yeah. What's your um, theme this week? Foreign countries. Oh, cool! Outside of the U.S., mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we're going. Great, great. We're going to Finland. Ooh, I like that. And the Philippines. I love Finland. 
okay, I, and I think I like the Philippines. I don't know as much about the Philippines as I do about Finland. I only know just because of a time sick episode, and I fell in love with Finland. And, but yeah. Right. Well, you might not love it after this. Scary. Spoopy. Spoopy. So spoopy. Uh, I, I have two again. Oh my God, you do? Uh, mm-hmm. That's, that's every so single shocking. Time. Weird, wow. every single time. Weird. Works out that way. I, I have a tiny one and then a really involved longer one. Uh, okay, I'm going to drink my coffee during the first one. I'm so excited for both these. Uh, hopefully I can really dive in. The first one is, a sim- is similar to a story we told a few months ago. It deals with a Westerton, Western, Westerton, Western Washington <laughs> stalker. I try to combine Western and Washington. I noticed that's a lot of my mispronunciations as I'm jumping to the word I have, like... I'm supposed to be saying one word, mm-hmm. and I'm reading ahead to the next word, and I try to say both words at the same time. Well, because that's how you read. Like, you don't focus oh. in on one word, right? You're always, like, it's it's almost like predictive text. Mm-hmm. There is, like, a whole thing, right? You'll see those stupid things on Facebook that are like, yeah. what does this say? And they're leaving out a letter from each oh, word. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's um, some, something a, sort of like recognition. Um, what do they call it? Sight words. Okay. I have, a, I have a malfunction where that's concerned. You have a lot. Uh, oh, yeah. I, okay. So the first one, it's uh, yeah, similar to a story we told um, a while back. It deals with the Western Washington stalker back in 2007. And basically, just how scary would it be to keep getting texts, uh, keep getting called by someone you don't know, someone who's watching you. They know what you're wearing. They know what you've just done, said, what you're that's doing like that, at the current time. Mm-hmm. That's like that one in D.C., wasn't right, it? Right, right. The guy was like harassed for years. This is along those vibes. So uh, very creepy again. Did not care for that. And uh, and then we are going uh, to talk the, about the story, The Demon of Brownsville Road, a Pittsburgh area family victimized over and over again by an aggressive, uh, active, possibly demonic presence. And I will say, in my opinion, huge Darren alert. Ooh, okay. We haven't seen a Darren in a while. Oh, this might be the biggest uh, yeah. it, 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 to me. Um, if you're a new creeper peeper, a Darren, it references uh, episode 18, a while back, where a guy named Darren uh, was egging on his own haunting with this Zozo demon situation. He had every t- opportunity to just knock it off, leave it alone, and he just kept bringing it back into his life. And so now a Darren is just somebody who's like, okay, felt bad initially for you, but you could either move. You could, there, there's options. This person has options. Yeah, Darren. And consistently doesn't take them in the story. Darren kept using a Ouija, Ouija board. board. That's yes, how it started. It was like uber specific. Mm-hmm. And like did it with his girlfriend. And like didn't he like yep. let his like nieces niece, and nephews or mm-hmm, something? Mm-hmm. It's like ugh, he just wouldn't quit. Wouldn't quit. And it would go away and leave him. And then he'd, <laughs> he'd get back He'd-like, on and bring it back. back. Uh-huh. Yeah. But, and then complain about it. And then complain about it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Darren. So a uh, little one to start. Okay. Can I show off my socks? Mm-hmm. You can show off your socks. Got some some dogs. Casey, my dogs. Oh, very cute dogs. And and then there's no so you gotta get your blanket if you're gonna have it because there's no setup for this one. We go, <sighs> okay. we go right in. My goodness. Okay, so much pressure. I gotta mm-hmm. do the thing and the thing and the thing. I we might be upside down this week. We're upside down. <laughs> it's fine. You can I'm, adjust as I talk if you want. No, no, you said I had to hurry. No setup. You ready? I feel pressured. Oh my god, Dan, slow down. Okay. Time now for the Kaikendall family phone stalker mystery. In 2007, an unknown caller harassed and threatened a teen girl and her family for months, using their own phones. A 16-year-old girl named Courtney Kuykendall randomly began receiving texts from her friends from her home in Furcrest, Washington, little suburb of Tacoma, in 2007. They were all asking her why they had gotten text messages from her simply saying, gay. Courtney was so confused. Weird. That wasn't something she'd say. She didn't send those texts. Confused, she brushed it off, tried not to think about it. Not long after that, Courtney 
as well as her friends and many members of her family, all started receiving threatening text messages and phone calls from an unknown person who they all later referred to as restricted. Because that was the word that would appear on their caller ID right. whenever the calls and texts came in. Okay. Okay. As soon as anyone answered one of Restricted's calls, they'd hear a muffled male voice threaten to kill or rape them. Or attack, Whoa. Or attack the school they went to, threaten to kill their pets, these kinds of things. They received texts full of the same threats, texts, and calls. And they didn't just receive a few messages. They received so many. Day after day, coming through around the clock. In an attempt to stop restricted harassment, many of those being harassed switched phones, changed their numbers, turned their phones off, and restricted would start calling and texting them all over again. That's terrifying, actually. Eventually, Courtney and her family called the police, and then while in the middle of explaining their situation to an officer, all their phones turned on and started calling each other. The police traced the threatening messages back to Courtney's phone which seemed to be able to send messages and make calls even when it was powered off. What? Then when the Kuykendalls had just returned home after meeting with law enforcement concerning these crazy phone calls, they noticed that they had a voicemail that consisted of a recording of an exact conversation they'd had from earlier that day. What? As if someone had been in their home recording their conversations. Thinking Courtney may have something to do with all the harassment, her parents took her phone away, and then the harassment just continued. And things got a lot scarier. Restricted, in addition to listening to everything they said, also now seemed to be able to see them, even when they were inside their home with the blinds drawn. After the Kuykendalls got a new security system keypad for their home, Restricted called moments after they set it up to tell the family that they knew the passcode. <gasps> and they did know the passcode. Fucking no way. Restricted would call and text them, tell them what they were wearing. Oh my God. What they were doing. Restricted would do the same thing to Courtney's friends. Once when friend Andrea McKay was cutting limes on her kitchen counter, Restricted messaged her, typing, I prefer lemons. <gasps> and then one night, it seemed as if Restricted visited the Kuykendall home. Shut up. Someone banged on the side of the family's house before running off into the night. <sighs> the family tried taping their camera lenses shut on their phones to make sure Restricted hadn't hacked into them. They tried removing the batteries from their phones when they didn't want to be bothered. Restricted would then call and harass them via their family landlines. My God. The cops were baffled. The harassment continued. Uh, there were never any arrests, never a person of interest. And then suddenly one day it just all stopped. Courtney, her friends, her family never heard from Restricted ever again. And they don't know to this day what happened. That would fuck me up for forever. I have to tell you that. Yeah, the security code thing. Yeah, exact. that is exactly where my mind went. What the hell? What the hell? And this is 2007 where people had less kind of like uh, smart appliances, smartphones, where there would be less right. things to hack right. into. Right, right. And it wasn't just like her. I mean, I watched other things uh, other than the story where like there's videos. <laughs> Randomly, this family was on, I think, Tyra, that show, you know, back then. But just talk. Mm. Yeah. Tyra Banks. Uh-huh. And, yeah, and, and just talking. <laughs> and just talking about it. And, you know, it was like uh, several different friends were all getting the same kind of harassment. Right. It wasn't different just family this... members in different houses. Yeah. So I was going to say it wasn't just this one household, mm -mm. this one family. Yeah. It's a multitude and of they would a plethora. Right. And they're harassing. I mean, it was just. 
yeah, it's but like the, somebody working for the phone. I mean, what? Who, I don't who know. could that be? I don't know. But that wouldn't even make sense because uh, it couldn't. I doubt that it could be the person working for the phone company because think about it. Our if we had a landline, mm-hmm. it's not like it would be through the same person oh, yeah. who provides our cell phones. True, true. Yeah, I know. It's it is crazy. And, and I mean, if it was now, I would at least be able to say, like, as in circa twenty twenty. Yeah. A lot of landlines, I think, might actually be run through cable now. Mm-hmm, like, like mm-hmm. they're landlines, meaning they're, but they're not really land. They're still Wi Fi enabled. They're yeah. just like a house phone, yeah, yeah, yeah. if you will. Uh, it's usually run through like your cable company. But right. neither here nor there. That's just the fact that they knew the key code because that means that you couldn't change the key code mm-hmm. and they wouldn't know it. Like, you're just screwed. Right. You're yeah. just fucking screwed. And for me, because I, not currently, but generally, I'm home alone a fair amount. If you're traveling and I'm not yeah. with you, I wouldn't be able to spend the night. I'd get the dogs and oh I would go God. to a friend's house. Yeah, and this one I wanted to include because, you know, obviously there's no reports of like paranormal, but it's one of those things where it's like- How yeah, is it how not you, paranormal? I know, how do you explain it? How do you Okay, so I found a few pictures. Possible Ooh, suspects. Makes my stomach hurt. Possible suspects. Let's get this first picture up on the, on the board. <laughs> so this- m- <laughs> What is- this my view did it. What is happening here? This picture, I have no <laughs> idea. But it cracked me up so hard. It's some weird, I don't even know if it's a phone or what, but just, I was. Okay, for people who are listening oh and not watching, there is a gentleman on the screen who has a long face and a long nose and thin glasses and, and is bald, I think, or at mm-hmm. least on top, he might have like the... He's wearing a funny device on his head, though. A, a funny device that looks like an oversized airplane pillow that goes from uh, chin to the yeah. top of your head and just wraps around your head from <laughs> left to right, only covering the back of your head. It's, it's so bizarre. It's some kind of phone because I was looking for like creepy guy with cell phone. This is in blue. This is some kind of phone. I'm guessing it's from years ago where somebody thought this was a great idea to have this giant headpiece. That would be like an old Bluetooth thing, but it's the most ridiculous picture. And, and these pictures, well, by the way, like a pillow? on Instagram, this is on, at Scared to Death Podcast, so you can follow along if you're listening. You can pull the, I don't know. It's not really a pillow. You can see the speakers. It's not supposed to, it's not a pillow. But just the a back, weird... the back looks pillow-esque. It looks foamy Maybe it's in both. there. Maybe it's a combination. Okay. So, Combo. So, so, so obviously, yeah, obviously I'm kidding. Uh, here is, this next picture is a suspect, possibly. Okay. Okay. Is, so that was a joke. Um <laughs> Is that you? No. You look How dare so you? good. Now this is I just I just put um creepy picture uh creepy stalker guy I googled. That's you. And, and this killed creepy me. Creepy stalker guy. That's it's how a, you found just me. Just a dude on his bed in his speedos with um and guns is that a lot guns, of guns and guitars. Uh-huh. And like a very furry mm-hmm. belly and chest and long hair. And then one more. I what? really do think that could be your alter ego. Uh, what <laughs> I put in creeper stalker guy and I got one more <laughs> I don't know. That just killed me. What is up with that hair? It's just a very interesting hair situation he has. That's like if your Papa Ward had long hair in the places mm-hmm. he still had hair. Right, right. Yeah. So, so do we have any actual no, pictures? No, there's no pictures. They have no idea. Because they have no idea. They have no idea. Where's the picture of the family? Uh, it's, I know. I was hoping you wouldn't ask that. I uh, I mean, you said they I were on Tyra. I know. It's I not did, like... I didn't include a picture. Ding dong. I, I don't know. I spaced it. Okay. I should have. Well, we, I went like, with the joke. It's okay. We all make choices and... I like that you made the choice that you made. It was very yeah, funny. It was entertaining. It was good. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> so it's <laughs> so a little lightness at the end there. Um, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
What are the things that weigh you down on a day-to-day basis? What kind of stress are you holding on to? Do you spend much of your day going over things in your brain over and over until they are so distracting it affects your mental health? Well, don't worry. You're not alone. We all carry different stressors, some big, some small. When we keep things bottled up, the results can be negative. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest without fear or judgment. It's a place to work through what is heavy on your mind and heart so that you can feel lighter and happier. I'm always holding on to something. It's the way my anxious brain works. I'm continually worried that I've done something wrong, that I've hurt the feelings of someone I love, and that I have let someone down. I'm stressed that I'm not being a good enough mom or wife. I panic that our life will implode at any given moment and it'll all be my fault. Thankfully, I have an amazing therapist who helps me talk through each of these scenarios. After each and every appointment, I feel lighter, happier, and more capable of showing up as my most authentic self. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash scared to death today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash scared to death. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are in France, which means Tubi is more popular than cigarettes for breakfast. It's more popular than considering iced coffee a total abomination. More popular than loving political revolutions. More popular than mer and mer somehow being different words. Tubi, it's more popular than being French. See you in there. Summer is just around the corner. Who's excited? I know I am. With the warmer, sunnier days calling your name, the last place you're going to want to be is in your kitchen, cooking, and meal prepping. Make your life easier with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Factors Never Frozen, Always Fresh Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Think of all the extra time you will get outside in the summer sun when you aren't wasting hours in the kitchen. I think I speak for everyone when I say that the summer is the busiest time of the year. We are all trying to cram in as many things as possible, from concerts to vacations and everything in between. With Kyler home from college and Monroe on her break too, I want to spend as much time as possible with them. And while I truly love to cook, the summer is the one time of year that I'm the least interested in doing that for three meals a day. So I lean on Factor to help keep me healthy and in step with my diet. I'm obsessed with the honey yogurt pancakes for breakfast, the pork El Pastor for lunch, and the cilantro lime barramundi for dinner. So easy and saves me so much time. Head to factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 and use code scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code scared to death 50 at factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right. So this is a big one. This is a big, okay. one. decent amount of setup. So if you want to readjust or anything, I think uh, I'm okay. I got really into this story, really frustrated. Also really like, what the hell? Okay. This is my, this might be the longest one I've told here. Okay. Okay, so this is the demon of Brownsville Road. Brownsville Road, Pennsylvania? Mm, is that what you said? Yes, it is Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. How pi- far from Cleveland? In the Pittsburgh area. Okay, not that far. Uh, Robert Wesley Bob Kramer grew up in Brentwood, Pennsylvania, a small town of less than 10,000. That's part of the Pittsburgh metro area, suburb, essentially. Uh, about six miles from downtown Pittsburgh. Okay. Born and raised in Brentwood, graduated from Brentwood High in 1974. And back in the 60s, when he was a kid riding his bike around his neighborhood, Bob became fascinated with a giant, beautiful home at 3406 Brownsville Road. Uh-huh. There was just something about it. He loved it. He felt drawn to the estate-like craftsman that he said exuded a feeling of history, wealth, and success. hmm I get that. 
His fascination soon turned to a dream of someday living in the elegant three-story manor built in 1910 that would end up being designated as a historical landmark by Pittsburgh History and Landmarks. Mm -hmm. Beautiful home. 14 rooms, three floors, an enormous front porch with large, majestic white barrel pillars, a foyer the size of an average home's living room, Mm -hmm. impressive two-tier oaken staircase leading up to an open wraparound second-floor balcony. Nine-foot ceilings, built-in bookcases, a music room, a servant's bell in the kitchen. This kind of home. Uh, Three working fireplaces on the second floor. Three more on the main floor. All of this on a huge property. The home was originally built on four lots. Uh, At one time, it had a carriage house that was torn down, and one of the four lots was sold off. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, I've looked it up online, and again, it still looks incredible. Raised Catholic, Bob stayed locally in Pittsburgh for college, attending the very Catholic uh, Duquesne University. Mm-hmm. Their motto is, it is the spirit that gives life. Mm-hmm. After graduating with a bachelor's degree in education in 1978, he entered the military, serving roughly seven years in active duty, assigned to military intelligence, and rising to the rank of major. Okay. While in the service, Bob met his future wife, Lisa, on a blind date in 1979 when he was 23 and she was 18. They got married quickly in 1980, uh, got started building a family quickly. At first, they had daughter Jessica, and then they had three sons, Bobby, David, and Charles. And in December of 1986, Bob left the military when the chance came up to take a good-paying job with AT&T in New Jersey, mm-hmm. a job that he had hoped would lead his family back to Brentwood with, uh, Brentwood with a transfer. Okay. And then that opportunity came up almost exactly two years later. Mm-hmm. And then... As fate would have it, the home that Bob dreamed of as a child mm-hmm. was just about to go on the market. Uh-huh. And he was looking for a place to live. Okay, okay. Bob's mom was a real estate uh, agent, uh, checked on it, knowing it was uh, still Bob's dream to live there. She set up a tour for her son and his family before there was even an offer on it. You know, mm-hmm. she got him in right away. Jessica was four, Bobby was three, David was two, and Charles was just two months old when they first walked into the house that would torment them for two decades. I... Immediately, there were signs that the house did not want them. Time now for the tale of the demon of Brownsville Road. Bob said years later that he and his wife felt watched when they first stepped inside the home. Also, no more than five minutes after beginning the tour of the home, their son Bobby, then three years old, uh, randomly burst into tears after wandering off alone. They were in the basement when Bobby disappeared. When they found him, he was standing in the center of the first landing of the staircase where the stairs made a sharp S-turn, his mouth wide open in a wail, his eyes squeezed tightly shut. When he was picked up and held, he started looking around the room frantically as if he expected to see something. Oh, boy. The current owners of the home also, while this was happening, seemed off. Uh-huh. Happy to be rid of this great home on edge. There was no negotiation with the home offer. They accepted the Kramer's initial offer immediately and seemed like they just couldn't wait to rid themselves of this house. This is not a good sign. Mm -hmm. This is a big warning that something was wrong. Another red flag. Uh, Along with feeling of being watched and Bobby's little meltdown, uh, Bob made sure that he and his family ignored all of these red flags. This was the house he had dreamed of living in since he was a kid. And by God, they weren't going to pass up what might be a once in a lifetime opportunity to own it due to something as trivial as a three-year-old getting spooked. So they bought it, moved in on December 12th, 1988. Not long after they moved in, Bob discovered another reason to move out. When Bob told a new co-worker about where he was living, the man told him that his father had also grown up in Brentwood, mm-hmm. grew up in Brentwood during the 1930s, lived a few blocks from this house, said his dad was absolutely convinced the place was haunted. 
Oh boy. Said his dad told him that the house was empty during the late 30s and that his father and a friend when they were kids had gone into it and ended up being scared to death when they were chased out of it by, quote, something. Bob just shrugged it off, mostly. Soon after hearing this, he and Lisa had a priest, Father Victor, come and cleanse the home. Okay. Father Victor moved along throughout the house, stopping to bless each room without anything unusual unusual happening until he came to young Bobby's bedroom. Bobby, still only three, stood at the door, unusually defiant, and refused to let Father Victor enter. When Bob told his son, his young son to step aside, little Bobby said, no, he can't come in. I won't let him. Uh-oh. Father Victor smiled, told Bob and Lisa it wasn't a big deal. It would be fine to skip one room, and he would just bless the rest of the house. Bob and Lisa were used to the occasional tantrum coming from their three-year-old, and they just let the whole thing go. They didn't know that Bobby's reaction to this room was another warning that they should leave, a big one. For roughly the first year they lived there, Bobby refused to sleep in his bed at night in what would become known as the Blue Room, named after its plaid blue wallpaper and giant blue rug. Bobby would go into his walk-in closet, turn on the light, and sleep on the floor in there instead. Eventually, Bob and Lisa put his crib mattress in the closet, and that's where he slept every night with a light always on. I get it. Little Bobby said that the Blue Room scared him at night and that he felt safer in the closet. Bob and Lisa wrote it off as a strange little kid doing what little kids do, acting weird, and they were just glad he was at least sleeping somewhere in his room each night and not in their bed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The next strange occurrence happened about five months after the Cranmers moved in. While Bob was planting flowers in the front yard while he was digging with a hand shovel near the front corner of the property, he found a small metal box buried about six inches down into the soil. He held a set of rosary beads and some religious medals and oh, he, he, it held it held a set of rosary beads and some religious medals inside. Okay. He thought, why would someone bury these bury these near the home like that? Not long after that, Bob and Lisa started to think they might actually be living in a haunted house due to what started to happen in the coat closet. Every morning before work, Bob would go to the closet underneath the massive oak stairs in the foyer to retrieve his overcoat. To turn on the light, he'd have to reach for a long, thin pull chain that hung just inside the door. And then every night when he came home and went to put away his coat, the chain was either wrapped around the light or meticulously twisted around one of the small screws which held in the glass shade. First, he thought Lisa or one of the children was pulling the chain too hard and letting it fly, but the children were too small to reach the chain, and Lisa assured him over and over again it wasn't her. After determining it wasn't someone else in the family, Bob tried an experiment. He left the chain hanging straight down in the morning after he grabbed his coat and then made sure Lisa kept the door to the closet shut all day. When he came home that night, the chain was once again inexplicably wrapped around the light. And this happened the next night, and the night after that, and the night after that. Hiya. Bob and Lisa joked about having a friendly ghost in their old house, and they just laughed it off. Bob tied a wire onto the chain, wrapped it around a coat hook, and it no longer ended up wrapping around anything at night. And after a while, they forgot about it. Mm-hmm. For the next six years, things stayed about the same. There was always something weird going on, but nothing that seemed overly threatening. Bobby still hated the Blue Room. Sometimes he complained about hearing a ghost moaning. Other times, various family members would feel like something or someone was watching them, but they never saw what it was, not directly. At most, they'd see the occasional strange shadowy shape from the corner of their eyes. Outside of the blue room, the basement seemed to be where most of the paranormal activity was centered. Of course. Every once in a while, all the lights would be turned on when the family got up in the morning, when everyone was certain they hadn't left the lights on the night before. 
There was also some chairs in the basement that seemed to be rearranged when no one was down there. Also, a radio down there would occasionally turn on by itself. <sighs> but again, nothing seemed outright malevolent. And there was always a, a possible, you know, reasonable explanation. Maybe one of the kids forgot to turn off the lights. Maybe one of them moved the chairs. Maybe the radio was just broken. Or maybe they just had a friendly ghost. While all this was going on, Bob was getting heavily involved in local politics, gaining a seat on the city council, then becoming Allegheny County Commissioner. He was spending more and more time away from home. Years later, he would think that some demonic presence in the home that had been there long before he moved in had been working on breaking down his family during this seemingly non-malevolent time. In 1995, his wife Lisa really started to break down. She'd always been a strong mom and homemaker, but a few months after she and Bob began sleeping in the blue room, after tiring of their son Bobby continually complaining about feeling spooked, she stopped caring about making the kids breakfast or keeping the house clean. She stopped caring about just about everything. She ended up spending two weeks in a psychiatric facility. Oh, no. Undergoing a lot of treatment for depression and anxiety for around a year afterwards. And then after she and Bob switched bedrooms, she became herself again. Oh, shit. Was it, you know, something to do with the blue room? Absolutely. Also, around 1995, a couple things happened that couldn't be explained away as easily as kids may be forgetting to turn off the basement lights. One evening, the kids had some friends staying overnight, and they were still watching TV after Lisa and Bob had gone to bed. Across the dining room from the kids' TV room in the foyer was a five-foot-tall pocket door that the kids had closed when Bob and Lisa went to sleep. Mm -hmm. Little Bobby would later tell his parents that when he was coming out of the kitchen, which also leads into the dining room, that he and his siblings and some friends all heard something pounding on the closet door. Something that terrified them. Or the closed pocket door, excuse me, pounding on. This, uh, that same night, Bobby and one of his friends opened a door into the foyer and walked into what they said felt like a meat freezer. Uh. Then while they stood there in the cold, feeling freaked out, they heard strange noises from behind another door that opens to a set of what's called servant stairs that lead to both floors above. Mm -hmm. Sounded like someone was running down the stairs about to barge into the foyer, and the kids all ran back into the TV room screaming and shut the door behind them. And then those friends would never sleep over again. Uh, correct. The next occurrence, even more intense. Another one of the kids' friends claimed to see a misty black figure standing in the bathroom through the doorway as he was walking down the steps. He said that the mist reminded him of the Grim Reaper. Oh. Bob said that years later he would come to believe that all of these sightings and sounds were tied to, tied to the same demonic entity. While they were happening, uh, while they were happening, though, he continued to rationalize them as either just the noises of a harmless ghost or kids just getting worked up and seeing and hearing things that weren't really there. Poor Bobby, who seems to have bore the brunt of the paranormal encounters from around this time, had one especially intense experience, not long after he and his friends heard all those unexplainable sounds around the foyer, one he didn't share with anyone else in the family for years because he didn't think anyone would believe him. He later said, I was in fifth grade and I stayed home from school sick. My mom took all the siblings to school and then she went to the pharmacy. I was in my room, in bed, looking out the window. I heard a strange noise, something like bagpipes playing. The noise got louder and louder, and then the door to my room opens, and this thing comes into my room. It was made out of what looked like static or lightning bolts in the shape of a kid's body, but with no face. It then seemed to hop or skip into my room, stood at the foot of my bed, and then it went back out the door. I stared at the door, and then this dark figure... Something I can compare to the image of the Grim Reaper ran past the door. As I stared at the door in shock, I saw a hand stick out with a black robe on its arm. 
I'm staring at the hand, reaching into the doorway. I pull my blankets over my head in terror. Then the blankets are ripped out of my hands, <sighs> fly to my feet, folded perfectly. I look up and there's another figure floating above me. It was looking down at me. If you took a human body and turned it into a light bulb, that's what it looked like. There was no facial features, just a light bulb person. I closed my eyes, screamed really loud, and it all stopped. I lay in bed until my mom got home but didn't say anything. I felt total terror like I was going to die. Over the next couple of years, Bobby's account of his frightening experience with the evil presence and his friend's sightings of it will be corroborated by other Cranmer family members. <laughs> the shadowy figure dressed in black would eventually make its presence known to every member of the family in different rooms of the house. They all agreed it was about five feet tall, would appear either as a misty black cloud or sometimes as a distinct figure. David described it most clearly as a figure with straight black shoulder-length hair, wearing what appeared to be a black cloak-like dress that covered its neck and arms down to the wrists. The black figure didn't always make its presence known visually. Sometimes family members would only smell it. The stench was described as being very similar to that of burning rubber mixed with sulfur. The stench would move throughout the room or whatever rooms the dark, reaper-like entity was occupying. On other occasions, it smelled similar to urine. Sometimes the scent would be faint, other times so strong it made them nauseous. Sometimes you'd see this thing when you smelled it, other times you couldn't see it, but you knew it was close. And yet Bob and Lisa do not seriously contemplate moving. These sightings and smells continue for another six years. So we're 12 years in now? Mm-hmm. Jesus. In early 2002, Bob and Lisa's oldest child, Jessica, now 18, uh, over 12 years actually, I think, um, have a little boy, Colin, and the two moved upstairs to the third floor which was set up like a separate residence. Okay. Little apartment, uh, like like an apartment, uh, like an apartment uh-huh. inside the house. Jessica was still in high school, uh, as was the baby's dad, who wouldn't end up being involved in raising the child. Bob's mom would move in to help with Colin and die in the home a short time later, age or the home. Jessica would later report experiencing frequent night terrors that began almost immediately after moving up to the third floor. She also witnessed the mysterious black Grim Reaper type spirit several times over the next few years. <sighs> the following year, Bobby, the little boy who first saw whatever was in their home when he was three, was now 18. And he'd become quite the troubled youth. I bet. So now they've been in there roughly 15 years yeah. in this house. He was running off with his friends for days at a time, getting drunk, ditching school, not giving a shit what his parents or anybody else thought. Bob threatened him with boarding school. He responded by running away for a week. Said he'd run away forever if they tried to send him away. Shortly after this threat, he attempted suicide. My God. Bob was later, uh, he would later be convinced that all of this was the house's fault. That it was constantly working at ripping his family apart, tearing them down mentally. And yet he still makes no attempt to move. Uh, his family's turmoil intensifies on Sunday, September 14th, 2003, after Bob confronts his now 19-year-old son, Bobby, over refusing to clean his room. Bobby attacks his father. Oh, my gosh. Bob said his son wasn't himself, speaking in low guttural tones. He threw his father to the ground, began punching him. Uh, the police are called. And because he had also punched Bobby back during the incident, Bob is taken away by police, ordered by a judge to stay out of the home once released the next day. Oh, no. The next day, Bob also finds out that his 88-year-old aunt had died in the house the night before, possibly the exact time he and Bobby had fought. His aunt had moved in the previous year after his mom had died. Weird. Bob wouldn't return home for two and a half months. Oh, my gosh. Eventually, Brentwood PD dropped all charges related to the incident. While Bob waited to return home, he considered getting a divorce. He said that Bobby and Charlie were glad he was gone, that his wife Lisa had taken their side as if it was all his fault. 
Years later, according to Bob, they'd all look back and feel that again, all this discord came from the house. Mm-hmm. Something in the house working on all of them, trying to tear them apart. It's time to get the fuck out. Mm-hmm. Right after Bob returns home just before Christmas 2003, he says the paranormal activity increased. The coat closet light began to act up again. The pull chain again starts moving around on its own. After over 15 years of living in an obviously haunted house, Bob and Lisa, finally ready to seek some sort of help, they turn to Mother Maria at the nearby Passionist Convent for help initially. Just sell the fucking house. After they spoke for a while, Mother Maria told Bob she thought that they were experiencing uh, a phenomenon called demonic infestation. She said that in houses where serious sins have once taken place, evil associated with those sins can remain and torment the house and its occupants indefinitely if it isn't expelled. Mother Maria suggested Bob contact a priest at the monastery that was affiliated with the convent, St. Paul of the Cross Passionist Monastery. Mm -hmm. As Bob contemplated doing just that, the next night when he came home from work, Lisa took him to the kitchen and showed him the charred remains of a music CD lying on the kitchen counter, looked like a plate shattered into many pieces. Weird. His son Bobby told him that he had almost been killed. Bobby explained how a few years earlier, he and his girlfriend Becky had gone into his bedroom which was uh, now the blue room again for some why, reason. Why is anybody even staying in the fucking blue room? Weren't there like 8,000 rooms in this fucking house? Exactly, exactly. Uh, and as he's standing by the door, he hears a loud pop behind him, something that whizzed right by his head, slammed into the wall and exploded, and it was a CD he'd lost a few weeks before. Oh. So Bob decided to call, contact uh, the, another priest now. Father Ed Moran had been a passionist priest for 50 years. Uh, he takes Mother Maria's advice. He, he comes to the Cranmer home on a Saturday evening in late January, tells the family that he believed that the power of God could banish evil spirits, that he hoped to cleanse their home of this evil. I mean... Father Ed's cleaning ritual didn't work nearly as well as the Cranmers had hoped. The next day, after this cleansing ritual, all of the paintings in Bob's art collection hanging cockeyed on the walls throughout the first floor, nine pictures in three rooms. Uh. A few nights later, Bob started a slow-running hot bath calculated that it would take about 10 minutes for the tub to fill up. He'd had this nightly ritual for years. He went into another room to finish writing what had happened that day in his journal, only to have Lisa come in screaming at him just a couple minutes later. There was water coming down into the kitchen. Oh, shit. Below their bathroom. Yeah. He ran to the tub to find both the cold and hot water handles wide open and the tub overflowing. Oh, man. His boys were also fighting more than ever. No one in the family seemed to be getting along. Father Ed returned for more cleansing rituals that continue not to help. And again, they don't sell move. the fucking house. Mm-hmm. My God. They do have money. They have plenty of money. He's got a good job. Mm-hmm. Like, what is going on here? The family would again find pictures moved that knocked off walls or, you know, or knocked off walls, clocks and watches that would stop working, plugs pulled out of outlets. The computer was constantly going haywire. The basement lights kept turning themselves on, furniture moving around throughout the night. Several weeks into February of 2004 and several cleansings later, Father Ed brought in another priest at the monastery. Sure. Who had more experience with these kind of matters, uh, Father Mike Salvana. Yeah, let's just keep going with this. The two priests first came on a Friday night about 6.30 p.m. It was dark and cold outside. They were happy to see them pull into the driveway. They all celebrate Mass in the Cranmer home. And in addition to his children, Bob's friend Carrie Frost comes to witness the cleansing ritual. Carrie was a huge skeptic who would come to believe in the existence of demons over the next few months. Mm-hmm. Father Mike blessed each room with holy water from the third floor to the basement, including the crawl spaces in the attic. Numerous prayers were uttered, and it did nothing. The paranormal harassment continues. Pictures again moving, furniture moving, the radio in the basement continues to play on its own. Lights turn themselves on and off. Bobby, a young adult now, but still living at the home, also becomes more and more difficult to live with. 
One morning, he knocks his mom, Lisa, to the floor while she's trying to get him out of bed. Jesus. Twists her wrist, almost breaks her ankle. On another occasion, he punches the dashboard in her car, breaking the knobs on the radio. Another time, he punches the fender and puts a dent in it. Uh, has to get his hand bandaged up at the emergency room. Yeah, I bet. Father Mike believes that the house is focusing his demonic energy on breaking Bobby down and corrupting him. Mm-hmm. Because it had been with Bobby for so long. Since he was three. Yep. It has slowly built its tolerance or whatever up. In 2004, 20-year-old Jessica, who was in college and had met a young guy named Tom, who she fell in love with and married, moved back into the house at 3406 Brownsville Road. Again, living in that third floor apartment after brief, briefly living with Tom's family. Shortly after moving back in, Tom also begins to see the entity. Oh, my God. That the Cranmers had grown up with. So this is another person outside the family. Yeah. If he sees it, it's time to fucking go. One night after the sun went down, when Tom was waking up, uh, or excuse me, walking up the steps to the third floor to check on little Colin, his toddler stepson, who he'd put to bed about an hour earlier, he saw the back of a figure standing at the bed bent over the sleeping little boy. No, no, no. He thought it was his wife, Jessica, and he said, what are you doing in here with the light off? The dark figure didn't answer. (sighs) It didn't turn around. It wasn't Jessica. Instead, it moved into the wall that led to a crawl space and disappeared. Tom followed quickly to see who it was and then just stood there mystified beside the bed wondering what he had just seen. He was terrified. Uh huh. Less than a week later, Tom saw it again, this time with Jessica. Uh. They woke up in bed where young Colin was also sleeping and they saw the dark spirit standing just past their feet. Light from a street light was streaming in, illuminating the room. Jessica could see the thing's hideously grotesque face smiling back at them. Oh my God. Still, Bob and Lisa do not attempt to just sell the house and move. For the love of Christ and all that's holy. Instead, Bob finally tracks down an elderly woman who had lived in the home prior to the previous owners he and Lisa had bought the house from. This is insane. They're spending so much time and energy doing everything except getting the fuck out. She told them that she too had experienced all kinds of paranormal activity in the home. Bob then contacted the previous owners, and when he asked them about what they'd seen, he claims they hung up on him. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't want it back with them. More paranormal activity continues. Various family members get locked in and out of rooms. Lisa hears rumblings and the sounds of moving furniture coming from the second floor a number of times when she's in the house alone. Father Mike returns the second week in July. By this point, physical signs of the demon attacking the family at night while they slept had become a regular occurrence. Get the fuck out of this fucking house. Oh, there's so much more to go. Oh my God, I can't take it. Bob and several of his children woke up with scratches on numerous mornings. Bobby was attacked in the blue room being left with nasty puncture wounds on his stomach. Once more, he vacates the blue room. Yeah. Uh, Lisa woke up to find small puncture wounds on her left breast one morning. David and Bobby suffered long scratch marks on their chest that Bob was now experiencing on a semi-regular basis. Young Charlie, 16, slid into a deep depression, suffering paralyzing anxiety, cutting himself with a razor on numerous occasions, contemplates suicide, and still they stay. Bob, doing some more research, learns that a man known as Dr. M lived in the home back in the 20s and early 30s, and that he performed, according to neighborhood lore, numerous illegal abortions, uh, many of them late-term abortions, and he performed them in, of course, the Blue blue room. Room. Was this part of the evil that the nun had told him created the demonic infestation in the first place? Also, local rumors suggest that many of these abortions were buried in the backyard, A third priest, Father Ron, who had begun to help the family after being part of several cleansing rituals and hearing about the home's history, began to believe that there was a portal of sorts in the house that had been opened years before by the many evil deeds that took place there. 
A portal? He said the portal might be related to the land on which the house was built. The house also sat on land where, like, between this world and the world of the dead. I mean, I don't... Okay. Who knows? That's what this... Uh, the house also sat on land where part of a, a major battle was fought during the Northwest Indian War, also known as the Ohio War and Little Turtles War, been fought way back in the 1780s. Several thousand had died between American colonial and American Indian casualties. And during this war, a mother and her three children were killed at the site of the property in 1792. The soil had seen a lot of pain and death. Father Ron said that as long as the portal was open, the demon or demons in their home would continue to pass through it. He wanted to attempt another cleansing ceremony with three other priests. On September 8, 2004, more priests returned to the Cranmer home. I literally can't take it. <laughs> and again, the house is not cleansed of its evil energy. Then, on September 18th... They put it up for sale. The dark man is spotted again. Oh my god, I hate these people. At around 9.30 a.m., Bob is in the kitchen with Lisa having coffee. He notices the faint smell of burning rubber mixed with sulfur. It's back. His son David is in the TV room on the couch. From David's vantage point, he can see directly through the dining room into the entrance to the kitchen. He then walks into the kitchen and asks his parents, Where did that person go who's, who's just here? Oh. There had been no one else in the room with him. When Bob asked his son who this person was, what they looked like, he said it was a man dressed all in black with that jet black hair down to his shoulders. He said the man walked into the doorway of the kitchen, then turned and walked out of sight. No, thank you. The next night, Bob heard what sounded like the loud gasp of the child who was drowning. He ran to the steps up to the second floor balcony, landing to find little Colin standing in front of the blue room. Uh-oh. Shaking like a leaf, gasping for air. He panted as he pointed to the blue room. Monster. Oh, God. Monster will get me. His mouth is wide open as if he's trying to scream then, but he can't. Bob then found out even more, even more, found out about even more unpleasant history connected with the home. When the house was being built, one of the construction workers, a man from somewhere in Eastern Europe, apparently had romantic or sexual feelings for the young future homeowner, Mrs. Malik. When the house was being built, she did not feel the same way towards him, didn't pay him the time of day, and he supposedly cursed the home. So cursed, home of illegal abortion, side of bloody battles, Bob's dream home is a nightmare. Shortly after, gotta go, man. Shortly after learning about the curse, blood begins to occasionally appear at 3406 Brownsville Road. How are we staying in this house? The first time, it was a small puddle of red blood showing up on the floor of the bathroom connected to Bob and Lisa's bedroom. They cleaned it up with a towel, bathroom cleaner, and the next morning, it reappears. Oh, my God. Blood begins to be seen on the walls and the floor. By January of 2005, Jessica and her son and husband had moved out, and Bob and Lisa reclaimed the third floor as a type of study. One night when Bob was walking up to the third floor, he was struck with an unbelievable sight at the top of the stairs. All of the walls, including two doors, were spattered with large drops of red blood from the ceiling to the floor. Ugh. It was still wet, and it was running down the walls. Gross. Since the cleansing hadn't exactly been working, Bob decided to contact the Penn State Paranormal Research Society. This guy... When the team arrives on a Friday night, they discover a space in the center of the house behind the walk-in coat closet. That closet with the pull chain light where activity had gone on for years. Yeah. Under the large wooden staircase leading to the second floor, they decided to cut into the back closet wall and into the center of the home. And they found a little room about four and a half feet in height, completely been closed off, filled with black coal dust. There were some extremely small cracks between the floorboards, but otherwise it had been completely sealed off for many years. The air was musty. They guessed the area had been closed since 1910 when the house was built. 
In this room, the paranormal investigators discover an amber stone, large enough to cover the palm of a grown man's hand. Okay. Bob later read that there was a belief that amber wards off evil spirits, dating back to pre-Roman times. Correct. The team also found the complete skeleton of a small bird and three playing cards. The King of Spades from one deck, the Queen and Three of Hearts from another deck. Okay, that's so weird. They also find a piece of crumpled paper. On one side of the paper, there seemed to be a depiction of the view from the backyard of the house at sunset. It was a sketch of two pretty female faces smiling and gazing up at the sunset, one older, one younger, with birds in the sky along with large trees in the background and a picket fence in the foreground. It was signed H.P. Malik. The initials A.M.B. also appeared on the picture, an obviously pleasant, happy family scene. The other side had a sketch of a man's face with a cigar in his mouth, a pig's head, a man laughing at him behind his back, and a snake coiled ready to bite the man. What? The edges of the paper were scorched, and it was not folded but crumpled up like a ball. What was it doing in this closed space? A little research led Bob to believe this paper was a malachio, uh, a curse cast possibly by a workman which would condemn the house to burn, and in fact a serious fire did once occur on the third floor. The Malachio is this belief in the evil eye placed on a person when someone else is jealous or envious of another's good luck. Was this that Eastern European worker's curse? The PRS team on Friday, February 21st, 2005 also witnessed one of their own researchers get attacked in the home. When they were having a meeting on the third floor sometime early in the morning hours, three very pronounced scratches suddenly appeared horizontally across Adam's forehead. This was caught on tape, and when Bob saw them the next morning, he told them that they were the exact same scratches that had appeared numerous times on his neck and chest. And he said, let's sell the house. Nope. This is how Adam remembers getting those scratches. I hate him. He told Bob that he walked outside with Ryan and Elfie to breathe. They walked for about 15 to 20 minutes. Then some lightning hit nearby. Everything went black except for four streetlights right around them. They felt like they needed to get back right away to the house, returned to that third floor apartment, entered one of the crawl spaces, uh, or entering it uh, through one of the crawl spaces on the, off the back room. Ryan suddenly demanded that the demon say its name. They were sitting in tight quarters when he said, I demand you to say your name. Adam's eyes were open, and when he heard what Ryan said, he suddenly saw letters, as if there was a piece of paper held in front of him. S-A-T-H. If you add an I, Sathy is the name of a female demon. Adam oh. sat on the floor, closed his eyes, and thought about what this could mean. He suddenly pictured the house. Underneath the lower part of the house, he saw faint, tattered souls, and then bigger things milling about, and they weren't good, dark things. Then one turned and looked at him. He opened his eyes. The others asked him what's wrong, and then as he stood there, three scratches welted up and appeared on his forehead. Adam was convinced that this demon and perhaps others were in the home. Still, Bob and his family do not leave. What the fuck? After the PRS team completes their investigation, there's, of course, still more activity. Of course there is. It just doesn't end. The blood spattering had now moved down to the first floor and appeared on the entire length of the two staircases in the library, also in the kitchen cabinets. When Bob removed the wallpaper in the first floor library, it was on the plaster walls under the paper as well. In addition to uh, more cleansings, Bob literally put a DVD of The Passion of the Christ on continual play. I don't know why that cracks me, it cracks me up so too. much. He put it on the second floor of the house. Okay. And according to Bob, this played for seven months straight, 24 hours a day. And did the activity stop? Uh, no. 
It, it, it escalated it. He's half crazed and desperate now. Uh, they're seeing the black man, the stench, the blood on the walls, strange sounds, moving the furniture. For some reason, 19-year-old David now moves into the fucking blue room. What's up with the fucking blue room, you guys? He's plagued by night terrors. He sees the dark entity. Finally, an actual exorcist is brought in. The chief exorcist of the Archdiocese of New York, Father James Labar. Father Ron had got contacted Father Labar. He was willing to come to Pittsburgh. Uh, the day finally comes for him to, to visit the house. His exorcism only lasts about a, lasts about a half hour. Father Bar Labar remains seated in the living room, presiding over the house with his spiritual and holy aura, while a few other priests and Bob and his family began the standard cleansing process with a prayer to St. Michael. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O prince of the heavenly host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all of the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. After a few prayers are said by Father Labar, he says that Bob and his family should expect echo events to occasionally occur for some months into the future, but don't be alarmed. This, for some reason, was natural and would eventually stop. And then they did. The last echo would occur in February of 2006. Father Mike had agreed to conduct Mass in the Cranbers' basement. As Father Mike begins the Mass, Bob and others present hear a very distinctive tapping on an old plank wall that divided the workshop from the furnace room. Bob distinctly feels the dark, demonic entity that had plagued his family for years standing in the doorway to the furnace room, watching everyone present, and then he and others present see it. They see the black, misty figure, and they watch it melt into the floor before them, <sighs> and it's gone. And according to Bob, it has never returned. No way. They never sell the house? Bob moved out, but the home, he has not left it. He converted it into a bed and breakfast. Shut the fuck up. David died unexpectedly in 2015. Jessica and Bobby move on with their lives. Kids, uh, you know, they have kids, both, uh, you know, of their own. Lisa leaves Bob after 37 years of marriage in 2018. Little Charlie does the cooking and guest registration in this home where he still stays. And I'm sure he'd be more than happy to book you a night in the blue room. Jesus, mother of God. It's not the, that much longest drawn out, like, just what are you doing? And I have to tell you, that ending was very anticlimactic. I know, I know, I know. The story is what it is. Th that ending makes me fucking furious. That it went away after all that? Did you call? I want to call them. Anybody out there, call them. I find out what they have to say. I mean, I'm, I mean, he stuck to his story. He still, he still um, owns the place. It was very tough to determine if... He lives there or not. There's like, you know, from uh, local n newspapers in Pittsburgh, there's mm -hmm. like, uh, from the last couple of years, there's interviews. Yeah. You know, because it's an uh, interesting story. He wrote a book uh, about, you know, all this stuff, you know, like, uh, you it know, several years ago. did have an element of like, this is true. Th there was a lot. And, there, and there's been skeptics. There, There's a lot of me that was like, seriously, and just keeps going on and on and on. Right. And like. The money was not an issue. There was no reason for right. them to stay. Right. I have, there's a part of me that has a hard time believing that all of those things happened. What if just some of them happened? Well, what if some of them happened and then they had exorcists really early on and then it was over? I know. When, well, or the, the, what, what if, what if it didn't happen until the 20th year right. in the house and then they immediately had an exorcism? Yeah. I just, I just can't believe, okay, like what I, <sighs> I think, and yes, I had the same concerns. And then I was thinking like, okay, if you did make this up and it's from Bob's point of view is, yeah. you know, most of the story elements. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you make yourself look like the worst father. 
Yeah. Where, where it's like your, your job kids, is to protect your family. Yeah. And you have and you have the money. Money's not an issue in this case. Not at all. They could sell this house, they could leave, but he's so stubborn. And his mom was a fucking realtor. Right. She could have like helped them immediately. I mean, I know that in the story she eventually dies. Yeah, yeah eventually. But, like, but oh yeah, no, absolutely. And and I'm just thinking like when you're seeing I mean, at least th- two of the kids and um and his wife end up with severe psychological problems that, mm-hmm. that he thinks are due to this entity, then get the fuck away from it. Yeah, like, why are you staying? Oh, like, oh, okay, we'd be stronger than the demon? Like, I just don't understand. It, there was allusions to just stubbornness, where he's, he, <sighs> you know, just super stubborn. Babe. S- saw this house as a kid. It was my dream house. And gonna I stay get there. that. Okay, and I get that. Like, I grew, I grew up in, like, a very like regular neighborhood but there were mm-hmm. neighborhoods that were so fancy yeah. and i totally had those thoughts even like in my sure, small neighborhood sure. they're always like nicer houses or oh, yeah. prettier and they're a like, normal thing oh when i'm older mm-hmm. I'm like but not at the cost of my family's mental health for years for 20 plus years i fucking hate him <laughs> like i really and i need remember to say, when i was researching the story and i was like this is so frustrating yes is that what yep, was this that is one the, this okay, is the one okay also i have to say like before you show me any pictures and the whole kit and caboodle yeah. babe yeah we we never stay in a house that long with that many problems no no more than 10 years babe wait no hold on 10 i'm, I'm leaving for you some, from for some real estate I, that, hold on i am leaving build you for my some hot equity. hippie crystal guy build some equity and then just just a decade and then you leave no Hmm, okay. Uh, let's get some pictures. No, what's your max? What's your max? Like, if that was happening, how many events do you need mm. to happen? How, how what, what is I, the I need, magnitude? I need to see the dark man. Okay. And I need to just see Just ha- once? Just once. Once okay. solid. One solid look at that, that the dark demon dude. Okay. And I need to have at least one other person corroborate it. Okay. That they see it and then they describe it. I'm like, no, that's for sure him. Okay. Then, we're, then we're out. What if? Yeah. What if? I see it, uh-huh. and both the kids see it, mm-hmm. but you don't see it. Then I'm going to put you guys in a nice hotel, like a nice motel situation down the street. Hotel, not motel. I know. I, st- I, start, I started a hotel. I, I went know. Down. I, I want to save I money. I'm going to go down to a motel. And you guys you guys waited out there just for like a year or two, and let, give me time to, and then, you know. I'm being was, serious. Oh, uh, I don't know. Because like. We do some cleansings like they did, but we do them right away. Right. And I have to say, like, in this story, I was freaked out because they're talking about the smell thing. Mm. And I have recently been feeling like every time I walk in our house, I'm like, what's that smell? Might be me. Or the dogs. Dogs have been super gassy. I'm not even joking. I know the dogs have been gassy. They were were lighting it up in the basement last night. They were? Like bad. And I don't have a good sense of smell. I know. know, So I know that if I'm smelling it, it, it's it's, it's rough. Okay. Okay. Picture the house. That's oh, a beautiful home. I and mean, we, I get it. We have another picture here of I the house. I really get it. It is. I mean, and there's lots of pictures online. It's a very nice house. Not okay. the best time of year, but it's was, a very like, nice that house. That is not as pretty. <laughs> the, the first picture was very bright and pretty. And This next picture is Bob in front of the home. I think this is a little bit better one again. Oh, I hate him so much. <laughs> he looks like a city councilman. Uh, this next I one is the, the inside stairway face. where the kids uh, heard oh, something. He's like, let me just show you everything. Let so me show you all the, the creepy stuff. spots. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is one of the bedrooms, not the blue room. Just to get a look for how the bed and breakfast is set up. This yeah, is from it's from a like recent article. Very like old fashioned feeling. I love and, that there is a crucifix on the wall. Oh yeah, big one. And then uh-huh. this this is the blue room here. So that's it, Wayne Brady. I know. Uh, I just thought this was funny because I was looking for the blue room. Couldn't find it. I, 
I, li- I literally Googled Damon in bedroom. And that's what came up? And Wayne Brady from Whose Line Is It Anyway came up from Let's that's Make a Deal. so weird. I don't know why. That's okay. Funny. Okay, so that's all I got. All right. Oh, my. Oh, my heck. Oh, my heck. Okay. I just, I hate him. I hate, I, I hate that they got divorced. Mm-hmm. I feel After like all he, that. Well, yeah, I feel like if he would have just left the house sooner, they yeah. would be fine. I bet there yeah. were a lot of fights of like, we're leaving, we're leaving. And his wife was like, nope. Or I mean, the wife was like, right, yep. right, 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 and, right. And Bob was like, nope. And just a lot of fighting. Oh, he's never letting go of this house now. Also, also, yeah. why did he randomly have this one female friend come over during one of the exorcisms? Just because she was a skeptic? I did not buy that. I was uh, like, oh, who is this well, bitch? Is there, he having an affair? No, I'm, no. There, there was a lot of like, I had to condense a lot of things. Yeah. That was somebody that the priest recommended. That was not oh, through him. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the way it was presented. Yeah, yeah. I was like... Is it also his secretary? Like, I just got like a weird, I did not like when her put, being there. When I put the story together, I, I would have to weed. That's why I was frustrated too. I'd have yeah. to weed through about, for every one page of horror elements, there was about 15 pages of his uh, small, small time political career. Oh, that, that you he, were telling me about That him. he was extremely uh, proud of. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and, and I get a little bit of that. I get a little bit of that. But delusional? But, but, but the language was like, uh, you know, over, it was overwhelming odds. It was a crushing victory. No one had ever won like that in this county. It's like, easy, buddy. Easy. Easy. Did you win by two votes? Easy. Uh, That's not a landslide. So anyway, uh, don't be Darren. Don't do that. Don't be a Darren. Leave. Leave if there's a uh, you know, black creature that everyone's seen that's terrorizing your family for literally... 15 years. What are you doing? No, it was like 20 years. It was so long. It was like 15, 20 years, yeah. Oh my God, I hate him. Ugh. (laughs) Oh, I really am mad at him. Yeah. He ruined his family. What if he's the demon? Well, okay, what I was... I I actually didn't think that he was the demon. What I started to get worried about was the little boy, Colin. Mm. What if the demon in the house... Uh, prefers little children because their youngest was it little Bobby, Bobby or yeah Bobby they started with him Charlie and, was the youngest but Bobby was the first kid when he was three right yeah. and they like yeah. started in at the demon started in on him at yeah. a young age and then little Colin was like approximately the same age mm-hmm. I started to have like a weird parallel feeling mm-hmm. I was glad that uh, Jessica and her husband they and Colin to, they were able to move on got the fuck out yeah oy vey ay 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 caramba um, that didn't spook me out because I was so annoyed with him. I have to tell you, I hated him so much, mm. but that first story was still ringing in my head. Yeah. That weird, is one that is going to, I'm going to set the alarm tonight. I'm going to be freaked out. Yeek. Yeek. Um, before I tell you my stories, mm-hmm. uh, was it last week that we talked about the Los Feliz murder house? Or was uh, it two weeks ago? I can't, it all blends together. It all A week or two together. ago. Okay. And then you talk to your friend. Yeah. So I talked to my friend. So if you've listened to oh, that yeah. episode, I just wanted to give like a little tiny snippet. So a friend of mine lives. The Perelsons. This was about the, the, the Dr. Perelson who um, kills his wife, mm-hmm. tries to kill his daughter after reading Dante's in, uh, Inferno. Inferno. I believe. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that's what he was reading. I thought it was something uh, Divine else. Comedy. Divine Comedy. Yeah. One I, of them. Whatever. whatever. Yeah, I think it's part of that. I think I, I'm not a good literature, but I'm just just to get people to remember yeah. the story. Yeah, yeah. And so, okay, so uh, the this house mm-hmm. is on Glendower Avenue yeah. in Los Feliz, California, and one of my dearest oldest friends lives on that street. And so I immediately was like texting her, like, "Oh my God, do you know this story?" And she was like, "Oh yeah." And there's articles out there, and there's various things, but here's what I thought was interesting. So the house uh, was 
bought in the last year or two. It's, it's been vacant. No one has lived in it since those murders. Yeah, in the 50s. In the 50s. Now, she was saying she didn't know like if it had, if it had changed hands multiple times. Yeah. But what she did know for sure is that Gloria Allred's daughter, so she wrote that book, Fascism, like talking about politics. I mean, Gloria Allred is, you know, huge. And her daughter had bought the house, uh-huh. never moved in because it was a complete fucking nightmare. But during the time that she did own the house, and she may even own it now because it is back on the market. Yeah. But during the time that she was going to like renovate it and move into it, the living room caved in. Just the <laughs> right. living room floor just fucking caved in. No one has lived there since those murders. No. And so many weird, yeah. 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 And if you're familiar with the area, uh, directly across the street from that is a Frank Lloyd Wright house that's like an amazing piece of architecture it's such a fabulous house but i've been to that and i was like oh my god i didn't know that that happened yeah right there so i thought that was really interesting and then of course i asked her i was like so does this affect the value of your home because these are multi-million dollar homes in this area yeah uh and she she said no she said it's kind of a weird thing where it's like everybody knows what that house is (laughs) and just basically no one gives a fuck because they don't believe that anyone will ever actually buy it and move in and i said like you'd have to tear it down and like start all over. And mm-hmm. then we were joking that even then you couldn't pay us to live there on uh, that, that, that land. Ground. Yeah. Yeek. Interesting. But I guess if, listen, if you want to find it on Zillow or whatever, you could see it. Yeah. And if you live in the area, I mean, it's there and it's for sale. So get yourself a realtor and go check it out and tell us about it. <laughs> Are you ready to go to Finland? Yes, I am ready to go to Finland. Okay. Let me, I'm just going to, can you talk for one second? I need to have a little sippy sip. I wanted to sip. Oh, I was, I've been you, talking this whole show. I talk a lot too. No, who's going to go I, first? I was doing story. Let first. Me ha- he can go first. You see what like a generous wife I am letting you go okay. first. Okay. Thank you. So Lindsay's having her water and uh, really you're thirsty. And then now she's no, going to go into her Finland story. This is a cup meant for tea. So uh-huh. it's like, so like not really meant for like chugging yeah, yeah, water. Yeah. And I don't have tea in there right now. I've got bubbles. Okay. Oh, buddy. This story. So I think this is a really, really awesome, great story. And I have to tell you that, like, there's a little bit, in my opinion, of comic relief at the end. Okay. I'm, I'm pretty into this story. Okay. Uh, and I'm just going to say that there is an admitted amount of mental illness. Okay. So when you're listening to this story, like, the storyteller is clear about their mental shortcomings. Got it. Okay. But so we don't like, have to, like, harp on it. We don't need to be dicks about it. But yeah. she also has, like, a really good sense of humor about it. Cool. Okay. All hail the lord and lady of the creeps, peepers, Yay. and space lizards. <laughs> Greetings from Finland. My name is Siri. And first of all, I want to thank you for the great podcast and dance comedy. They brighten even the darkest of my days. The reason why I'm actually sending you this email thank you. is because I wanted to tell you uh, the story of me living with my quote-unquote roommate oh, for boy. five years without even realizing it. Now, most people wouldn't believe a word of this, and that's because I've been diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. Okay. So I can't blame them. I wouldn't believe me either. <laughs> but this story is corroborated by my older brother. Wow, okay. Okay. Uh, The story starts after my second hospitalization following a psychotic break. I had been in the hospital for four months and lost my previous rental apartment due to failing to pay the rent and an unfortunate episode that had sent me into the hospital. But I was on new meds and functioning more normal. And I had since and then I had since my last diagnosis two years before. 
My brother offered me that I could stay with him, as I knew I didn't have many other people to rely on, but he understood very well that I wasn't interested. Okay. He knew that I didn't cope well with human interaction, and especially after being at the hospital, I longed for peace and quiet, not the hustle and bustle of his household where he had three children. Mm-hmm. When it comes to other family members, I'm not exactly on speaking terms with them, and I'm quite incapable of any relationships in general. Anyways... He helped me find a new apartment and took it out on his name as the landlord refused to rent it to me otherwise after checking my credit score. So you get this set yeah, up. Like, she's like really back against a wall here. Yeah. I lived in a small city at the time. And so I moved close to my brother. Or he lived in a small city at the time. And so I moved close to my brother. My new place was quite a shithole, to be honest. A tiny two-room apartment in a very old house above a hairdresser and a drift store. It was in bad shape, the insulation couldn't keep the cold out, and there was some mold, but it was what I could afford with the money I got from the government welfare and what my brother could spare. At least the area was beautiful, filled with lakes and forests. Above the flat, there was an attic that was as big as the lower level. There was no heating, but I figured I could use it for storage or as a freezer in the winter because, well, why not? Mm -hmm. My brother helped me move what little I had inside and then left me to my peace. Now... Even though I was doing better, my hallucinations never really leave me. And I constantly hear shuffling sounds, whispering, and the occasional more coherent speaking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Really tough. Yeah. The voices are always angry or even aggressive. And I've also had some visual hallucinations, even when not in full psychotic break, when I do lose touch with reality quite completely. Wow, yeah. So when I noticed new sounds in this apartment, I wasn't concerned. I figured the stress of having a new environment made me hear that made me hear that some woman quite was quietly mumbling upstairs and the occasional floorboard was creaking. Mm-hmm. I had nothing to store in the attic at first, but I did take a peek up there just to see what it was like. I can't call it anything but creepy. It was December, so the cold hit me like a wall when I opened the hatch and pulled down the narrow, creaky ladder. There was a small electric lamp in one end, but the light of it was so dim and I couldn't get past the spider webs to light up more than that half of the attic. Mm-hmm. When I first got up there, I saw nothing but dirt. But once I turned around on my ladder, I jumped a little. In the middle of the floor, there stood an ugly old armchair built with heavy brown stained le- leather. I thought it must have been made in there because there was no way it would fit through the whole opening that i was standing in weird i didn't like the attic and the shadows around the chair that moved weirdly i thought the shadows were just a product of my mind either imagination or hallucination sure. it didn't really matter to me life went on i settled in and paid no mind to any of the voices i heard and started painting again it's what i spend most of my time doing eventually i needed the space upstairs and started to clean up the attic I wasn't too precise about it, mostly just pushed the dust into the corners and didn't bother to do anything about the light at first. And at first I didn't need all the space anyway, so I figured I could just use a flashlight if I needed to go further than the light would go. I kept seeing shadows around the chair, like someone was moving, but I paid it no mind. I didn't touch the chair at first because it looked very heavy and it wasn't in my way yet. I couldn't figure out why it was up there, but then again, I, for one, know that sometimes people do strange things that don't necessarily make any sense. (laughs) By the following summer, I had made so many paintings, I felt I couldn't keep storing them in piles on the attic floor (laughs) anymore and decided to buy some shelves. 
I barely managed to get the pieces upstairs and to build them. I needed the empty floor space where the chair stood. I had brought some lamps with me and I lit them. Sorry, I had brought some lamps with me and I lit them up in the corners so I could see while wondering why it was so cold up there. Now, the summers in Finland aren't warm, but in my experience, no insulation and a metal roof under sunlight shouldn't equal freezing. Mm -hmm. I tossed that thought out of my mind and went to work. Moving the chair proved to be very difficult. It was extremely heavy. Now, I'm not a strong woman, but I didn't expect such trouble. It took me half an hour to push the ugly thing one <laughs> centimeter at a time just to get it three meters away so it could stand next to the angled roof. Mm-hmm. All the time, I also had trouble with the lights. They kept flickering, and I had to keep turning them on and off to keep them working. I blamed it on either bad lamps or batteries. Mm-hmm. I was exhausted, but stubborn as I am, I refused to stop until I had my shelves built. It was a strange experience. I was sweaty from the heavy labor and at the same time very cold, and the voices were louder than they had been in months. Before I finished, I started to think that maybe I was closing in on another psychosis because the voices got so awful. The voice I had first heard after moving in wasn't mumbling anymore. She was now screaming, no, no, bitch, die, no, and so on. This might seem extreme to you, but I hear voices telling me to either die or kill myself quite often. So while this wasn't new, it also wasn't that different. It was just very loud. Mm -hmm. Finally, I was done. And so I took my meds, which I felt maybe weren't really working after all, and I went to bed. As I relaxed, the voices quieted down and I fell asleep. I saw nightmares of the screaming voice. She took the form of a woman that was made of shadows if shadows were white instead of black. I blamed all of this on my mind and continued my life as usual. Mm -hmm. It took a couple days rest before I considered continuing to work on the attic again. My plan was to put all of the older painting on the shelf, all of the older paintings on the shelves so I could just throw newer ones in without having to take any lights with me. I had felt quite okay since the episode with the chair and the shelves, and I hadn't heard any screaming while I was awake. I still heard some in my dreams, but that's not that much out of the ordinary for me. The mumbling from upstairs had turned into stomping and angry whispers telling me to die, but I blamed it on stress and and went back to the attic. As soon as my head popped over the hole in the floor, the screaming started again. Annoyed, I threw my extra lamps in and cursed while I got all the way up. I had never experienced my hallucinations focusing solely on one particular place, and I didn't like this new development at all. Mm -hmm. When I turned around, I liked it even less. I was seeing things again. The woman made of white Uh, shadows from my dreams was there. She was flickering, just like the lights. In one moment, she was where the chair used to be, and then suddenly she'd flicker into existence where the chair was now. Somehow, I couldn't focus my eyes on her, but I could see that while she was in the old spot, she was calm, just mumbling. But in the new spot, she was visibly angry, waving her arms around, screaming at me, all the time flickering like a malfunctioning TV screen. I wasn't scared. I was actually just very annoyed. I had hoped I had my mental health somewhat under control, but now I was seeing crazy ladies made of flickering white shadows. This was something completely new and it pissed me off. I gave up on the paintings for that day and went back downstairs. 
Strangely, the screaming quieted to whispers again, and I didn't see anything out of the ordinary. I considered calling for help, questioning my sanity, but came to the realization that they'd just put me back in the hospital again, and that was the last thing that I wanted. Mm -hmm. The following day, I did put the paintings on the shelves, despite the woman and her screaming. I worked as fast as I could, cursed the shit out of my lamps that didn't work properly again, and didn't walk across the floor where I saw the woman. After that, nothing really changed. I continued my solitude lifestyle of painting, walking out at night when the streets were quiet, and texting only to my brother and lying to my therapist that I had barely any hallucinations at all. Mm -hmm. You see, the less I tell them, the less I need to see them. All the while, the woman was still there. I could always hear her whispers and stomping, even if everything else was quiet, and I visited the attic only when I absolutely had to. It was always cold up there, and she was always there, and I could never find a lamp that would work up there, except the old shitty one on the wall. Uh-huh. About five years passed since I moved in, and I never let anyone visit me. Then, my landlord died, and his children inherited the house. First, they wanted to sell it, but then an inspector came, and I didn't let him in, but apparently, the downstairs was in pretty bad shape, too, because they were told that the only thing they could do at this point was to demolish the whole thing and sell the land. I wasn't happy. Uh I don't like new environments, and now I had to move. But I had saved some money by selling some paintings, and my brother helped me find a small old house in the middle of the forest with surroundings countryside, so it turned out great after all. My brother came to help me move again. I had packed up everything, so he just had to help me carry everything out to the van he had rented for me. Immediately when he walked in, he asked me, what was that weird noise? I didn't get... I didn't get it, and I didn't get what he meant. I just said, oh, something about, like, this must be an old house. Because I didn't want him to know that I wasn't quite sure of which things were real and which were not. He was uneasy, but I let it go as I kept him busy, and I didn't want this stressful event lasting any longer than necessary. I had carried everything down from the attic except the shelves. I had taken them apart, but I didn't dare try to take them down that ladder alone, Mm -hmm. as I was sure I'd either break them, my neck, or both. We had already moved everything out and I led my brother upstairs as the and I led my brother upstairs to get the last thing. As soon as he followed me up, he started yelling, "What the fuck is that? Oh my god, get away from it. Get out of here, Siri. Run!" And then he bolted. I was confused for a second, looked around thinking maybe there's an animal or something that scared him, but then it hit me. She was the only thing there. He could see the screaming bitch as well. I got down the ladder and panicked and my panicked brother banged the hatch shut and started dragging me out. The only thing I could do was laugh. It was and is so absurd and funny to me. For five years, I had just assumed this angry woman was a hallucination, but turns out whatever it was had been living with me all along. My brother got me out of there and refused to come back inside. I wanted to get the shelves and he said he didn't know what he'd seen, but there was no way I could make him go back in there. I tried to reason that it clearly couldn't hurt us or it would have done it years ago, but he just got more upset that I'd been seeing her or whatever it was for a long time. He promised to buy me new shelves, and so we drove off, dropped off the keys, and never went back. The next week, they tore the building down, and I have no idea what happened to the woman or the chair or where they came from. I tried to speak about this with my brother sometimes before he passed away, but he didn't want to think about it ever again, and I let him be. I owed him at least that. It's been about nine years, and I've never told anyone else because, well, they wouldn't believe me anyway. 
What I did do is that I adopted a cat. So now, if I'm not sure if what I see or hear is real, I just follow if the cat reacts to it. If, <laughs> if the cat can see what I can see, I should probably move again. Oh, my God. And so, I got the chills. Uh, is that crazy? The brother part so big. And uh, Siri? With Siri. The R, with the R? Okay, like the um, iPhone? I, I'm assuming that's how you say it. I didn't look uh, S-I-R-I? up. S-I-R-I? S-I-I-R-I. Oh, okay. Siri? Yeah, I know. Siri? Maybe. Yeah. Finnish pronunciations are super tough for me. Like, oh, we, like it's one of the most complicated, I think. Well, can I tell you something that yeah. your your childhood best friend Kyler and I oh, yeah. message, and even he says that like the Finnish words, they have- And my friend, for a little context, he's in uh, Denmark. He's lived in yes. Denmark for many, many years. Yes, so he's was, in that area. Don't worry. I was getting there. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay. Typical. So even though he speaks the Danish language, he said that even like for him who lives over there, who yeah. is ingratiated in a very similar language, finds the Finnish language to be so difficult. Yeah. And that um, he says he could understand it if they would speak slower. Um, but they've like switched to this way of spelling so that the words look exactly how they sound. And even oh. still, it's like. Get, yeah. Like I skipped the name of the city yeah. that they live in. I was like, I it's can't part say of a, that. It's part of a different language tree because there's like, right. like, like one language tree has like, like Sweden, Norwegian, like Danish. It's all part of the same skin. Finland's like it's its, its own thing. Yeah. It's, it's more related to I believe it's been a little while since I looked, but Estonia or Latvia. Oh, yeah. But it's like it's it's somewhere around like this uh, Earl Lake. I don't remember. I, I, on a map, I could find it. Well, you know who would know all about that is your son Kyler, <laughs> and, and <laughs> the Kyler that I'm referencing yes. is our son's namesake. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, yeah, I was picturing that as a movie. It was so good. Yeah, like, like, but seriously, like, what? A, I don't know if it's already been done. That would be such a good horror movie. Like everything, just following the blueprint of what she just put there. Yeah, where you have somebody who is seeing something fucking horrible, mm -hmm. but they're like, nope, not because, real because she's because of Ill. the mental illness. Yeah, and then like, yeah, I mean, in the movie, it would go on beyond the brothers kind of moment. But I'm right. like, oh, and, and with and with her painting mm -hmm. and the backdrop of Finland. I was enjoying that movie. Yeah. In my mind, there's, yeah. a, there's a great horror movie right there. I was super impressed. Sorry that was your real life. Well, though, with the with the scary part, though. That that would freak me out later to know that I've been talking to somebody for that You know what? Long. I was laughing at the same part that she was laughing. I also thought it was hilarious because yeah. I was like... She seems to have a great sense of humor. A great sense of humor, a very realistic understanding mm -hmm. of her spot in life, mm -hmm. which is shitty and it sucks and it's hard. Sounds like she deals with it very well. Yeah, as best as you can, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, and... But her paintings are awesome. I know. I bet they I are. Have a feeling I would love awesome. to see them. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to see them. Email, email us some pictures. Yeah. And she us... does sell them to like help. Oh, really? Well, yeah, because she said that she saved up some money from selling paintings. Oh, that's right. That's right. So in order to move. So they got to be online somewhere. Well, no. Maybe. She, maybe. she just sell them locally as well. I hope they're online somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because it sounds like she doesn't. It sounds like human interactions are difficult, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? Because that difference between like what's real and what's not. I mean, to me, I was like, this is one of those stories. And I feel as though I say this quite often, but yeah. it was one of those stories where I was like, it felt so real to me yeah. because someone who kind of maybe floats in and out of consciousness, uh, like reality, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like, I mean, she's just, she's always on medication, right? Because she has to be to control things. Mm -hmm. So her world is already blurry. Yeah. And does that create sort of an opening or a gateway or a portal? Part of the movie. Right. To like be able to see and feel these things. But I'm, I loved her laughing at her brother. Mm -hmm. I was like, yep. I mean, and laughing at herself of like, oh, sure. Fine. The one time that I don't tell anybody about my hallucinations, yeah, it's a yeah. fucking demon. Right. I mean, there is some humor oh, yeah. to it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. 
and it was an like, awesome story. I was totally impressed with uh, because I I don't speak or read any other languages. It was so well written. So well written. I had to like adjust like three words because it was like where we would say in she said on. Well, you you know, know, it was like well, a know, slight thing. Random Finnish trivia. They have one of the best education systems in the world, if Is, not the best. It, it wins some years. Are we gonna move there? Dan wants to I've, move there. I've thought about it. Yeah, I, but I, have I mean, to go not there now. First. Not now. I, like just for like part of the year. You'll love it. It's beautiful. I want to. It's cold. It I know. It's not not in the winter. And well, it's cold even in it's the cold, summer. It's cold and dark. It's cold always. No, it's, it's always not. cold. No, it's super fun and warm and it's awesome. Don't ruin this for me. <laughs> Why does it have to be Finland? Why can't we like? Because that's what I've. I don't know. Because I read some cool shit about it. Okay. What's this your, is this is what I deal with. What's your, what's your next? He's story? like he's like I did this episode on Time Suck and now I love it and that's where we're gonna live. Yeah. <laughs> is that wow. That that's was, how you do it. That was aggressive. <laughs> that's been our new joke actually <laughs> that we've been doing to each other. And we do it to Joe. It's huh? just like because it's the worst. It's worst. See, isn't that so obnoxious? Oh, obnoxious. <laughs> I can't read. I can't read the last story. Uh, yeah, I just. My goodness. I'm I'm anxious for more fear. I want I, it. I like Give it give me more. I like making you wait. Ugh. I mean, it's it's pretty enjoyable watching you get all amped up. Cuz I have no idea what it's even going to be about. The Philippines. Oh, that's right. So we're headed to the Philippines. We're going way across the world from that last story. Yeah, yeah. I I love that I was able to find two out of this country mm-hmm. experiences. Very exotic. Very exotic, Dan. I am otherworldly. Mm-hmm. Okay, are you ready? I'm ready. Yeah, I am. Mm, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm ready. Do you have your squishy wishy? Uh, yeah. Just in case. Okay. Hello, Lindsay and Dan. Oh, I like that you put my name first. Good job. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I just wanted to irritate you some more. Dang it, it didn't really work. Uh, I stumbled upon your Scared to Death podcast during these uncertain times of quarantine and found myself addicted and thoroughly spooked. Yay. Yeah, thank you. Most of all, I'm very thankful for your stories as you share... That you share as they keep me company in the evenings. Keep up the wonderful work. I'm reaching out to you with a story or rather an experience really that happened to me and my cousins some time ago that still haunts us all to this day. In the late 90s, my parents and I who live in America planned an extended family visit back to the Philippines. Mm -hmm. Normally, we would go just for the Christmas holidays. But this year, we arrived in late October, just before the Day of the Dead and All Souls Day, as we had lost two grandparents earlier in the year. Now, despite the creepy holiday names, it is a time where we celebrate lost loved ones. And I always looked forward to seeing my cousins Mm -hmm. and the usual activities my family scheduled, which included a candlelit procession from the church to the cemetery and back with wonderful singing and visiting and cleaning of the graves. That would happen very early in the morning and would last just until before lunchtime, where we would gather to eat a very tasty meal that was prepared during the breakfast hours. I had a big family, and the children are usually grouped into separate tables. Two of my cousins insisted on eating with me, and when we got some privacy, eventually asked me if I wanted to go on an adventure Mm -hmm. with them later that evening that would require us to sneak out away from the family home. They wouldn't tell me where we were going, but they insisted that they wanted to check something out, something they've been waiting all year to do. I, of course, agreed with my curiosity getting the best of me. The younger kids all slept in one room, and around 11 p.m., my cousins and I quietly snuck out through the window with a bag of flashlights and some water. We took the bikes my cousins had cleverly taken out earlier, Mm -hmm. and I remembered that we had taken 
And I remember we had biked for perhaps an hour under the moonlight until we eventually biked to a trail. My eldest cousin told us that we would have to abandon our bikes and our bags at the trailhead, and we would have to be very silent as we traversed the dark woods. The seriousness in his tone and the darkness of the woods started giving me second thoughts. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to continue, but since we'd come all this way, I did want, I did trust my cousins and I reluctantly joined them as we walked through the woods. The trail should not have been that long, but as our eyes were adjusting and our pace slowed by trying to be quiet, it felt like an eternity before Mm -hmm. we ended up seeing the faint light from the clearing ahead. As we left the woods, I was surprised to see that we were overlooking a small village. We were clearly by the coast, which was made evident by the cool air and the sound of distant waves. My cousins looked me straight in the eyes and whispered that no matter what, we cannot get caught. I nodded as we silently approached the coastal area while remaining hidden behind a few of the straw houses. As we snuck deeper into the village and closer to the ocean, I started hearing voices and the unmistakable stench of rotten fish. And there they were. Several people just gathered around this elderly woman who was naked, and they were just slathering her with dead fish from baskets. An elderly man seemed to be blessing the fish with Mm -hmm. smoke and incense while the others were chanting in a very hypnotic manner. There were a few younger women holding candles to the area, some of which seemed to be weeping silently. The elderly woman did not seem to resist any of this, and there was a choreography of sorts to the whole thing that made it feel as this had been done before. I was deeply enchanted by the view, but also just felt this deep sense of dread by what I was witnessing. Although the mood felt more melancholic than malicious, I couldn't help but feel our presence was known, but they just weren't acknowledging it. I felt that we were witnessing something very private and very Mm -hmm. intimate. Once they were done smearing the lady with fish guts, she slowly walked backwards into the ocean while all the while looking in our general direction as the silhouetted people were weeping and seemingly saying goodbye to her. I literally froze in place because for a moment I felt like I locked eyes with her expressionless, grime-covered face. I don't know how long it took, but we never saw her come out of the ocean again. The people eventually just gathered their things and all left the area in complete silence. We too left in silence and we didn't speak a word to one another on the way home. Our little excursion was successful and we managed to get back into the rooms without waking anyone in the house. I glanced at the clock and noticed that we had been out for close to four hours. That night, I feverishly dreamt of being slathered up in fish guts, but instead of willingly going into the ocean, I was being pushed and held down in Mm. the ocean. At some point in the dream, I realized that I was at some point in the dream, I realized that what I was dreaming, but what I could not do was wake up. I was surrounded by darkness, trying desperately to catch a breath, and the haunting chants that came from above the water were all I could hear. I felt the cold grip on my ankles, and as I looked down, the elderly woman looked up from me, looked up uh. at me from her blackened face with glassy uh. eyes, silently pulling me further and further into the depths of the ocean. Upon waking up in a drenched sweat, some family members were looking over me worried and said I had been screaming in my sleep and both my cousins were crying in their sleep, waking everyone in the house. My aunt was asking me what I had dreamt of and if I was okay. I could see the silent but tired glare from my cousins begging me not to reveal anything. I said I couldn't remember the dream. 
Some family members were saying they were just bad dreams, and some family members were saying we must have caught bad spirits from the cemetery. They all commented, however, on the faint smell of rotten food somewhere in the room. The local pastor was called in to join us in prayer, and that seemed to put all of the adults at ease. Eventually, as we settled into the morning and the adults left us alone, my cousins pulled me aside and wanted to know what I had dreamt of. I told them about the part of being I told them about being a part of the ritual and being held down in the ocean. I could see the fear growing in their eyes as they told me that they had dreamt that they were the ones slathering me with fish guts, drowning me in the ocean. They looked distraught at the revelation and we just held each other in the silence. They tell me that year that the year before my cousin's friends took them out there but they had arrived too late and apparently missed the ritual and they had never experienced those dreams before their friends have since moved into the city but my cousins couldn't pass up the opportunity to bring me out to this ritual where i was where we went while i was visiting mm-hmm. now as the years have passed we often discuss what we experienced we looked into burial rituals and other rituals that might have been of relevance but couldn't find anything of this nature my cousins never dared to go back and not too long ago the village had been destroyed by a typhoon and the people were all displaced into other nearby nearby provinces it has now been more than two decades and one of my cousins has since passed away due to unrelated causes but to this day once every few years my remaining cousin and i will share the same dream him and my deceased cousin covering me in fish guts leading me into the ocean to hold me down into that cold water with her Jesus. That comes in from listener Paul. Wow. That is a crazy story, Paul. That, what a, what an like weird annual ritual or what? I know. I didn't have the balls to look it up. I was like going to try and Google it and I was like, no way. I'll never sleep again. Well, what's weird is like the whole ritual with like the fish stuff and the slathering and like the nude old woman. Yeah. I was watching a video on you porn that was basically exactly that uh, last that sound, night. That sounds awesome. Did it work for you? <laughs> oh, did it. Did you get some dead fish for tonight? <laughs> I don't, I don't have that, anything more. I just wanted to make that oh, one joke. I thought you were going to slather me up in dead fish. <laughs> that was a new thing. No, yeah, but... Uh, yeah, I like dead fish fucking. It's cool. Whatever you need, babe. I'm here for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. No, but like... And, and it was the, the... What is it? The Day of the Dead? That was when this mm-hmm. thing happened, right? So I guess that's the annual... That's how they know when it happened, like when to go see it. Oh, I didn't even make that connection because I was like reading the story and I was like, how would they know when this ritual happened? Because it's on this... Right. Holiday on this holiday or All Souls Day because well, I mean because because isn't All Souls Day and the Day of the Dead the I don't think those are one in the same I can't remember because well okay being Catholic mm-hmm. or being raised Catholic uh, all All Souls or All Souls Hallow or Hallowed Eve it's like the night before Halloween yeah. is All Souls Day and I mean you go to church for it it's a I wouldn't say that it's like a church holiday like it's but but I think people who are pretty hardcore in their Catholic at least practice, you would go to you would go to church that day. Uh, yeah. I don't think my mom does anymore, but because my mom's pretty devout. Like yeah, goes to church yeah. for all the holidays. I'll have to ask her. I mean it sounds like I mean there there are so many different like indigenous, you know, religions. Mm, they get they mm-hmm. get they get lumped into the group of pagan for people who come from like a Christian perspective or a Western religion perspective. But they're yeah. just, you know, there there's a variety of uh religions out there. To me it just it sounded like some some type of local religious ceremony. I mean, it's weird that the lady went away. Right. That's the, now, that, that's, the, that's the paranormal creepy part. It's like, what what happened to that old lady? But do you think yeah. that it's plausible okay. that like she walked out into the ocean mm-hmm. 
and maybe it's just symbolic of something and maybe she really did come back and then the kids just it's didn't possible. see it. It's possible. Yeah, that would freak you out. Is it also? Or maybe she's a weird demon lady. Or is it possible that like when you are diagnosed with a terminal illness, if you feel- I know, I know I did have that weird thought. Like what if she just like, that's why people were sad. Yeah. It was like her time to go. Yeah, she just decided like she didn't want to do treatments or, or wasn't accessible to her or what have you. And they just kind of You'd like- think they would hear about a body washing back up on the shore though the next day. The well, but maybe do they get slathered in fish, dead fish guts so that like, are those shark infested waters? Oh do you get God. like gobbled up? Oh my God, what a terrible way to go out. Well, no, she would probably drown first and then become Fuck fish that. food. I mean, maybe that's the theory. I don't, I don't know. If anybody oh has any, God. like, anything uh, in, I can't speak today, and any enlightenment on that, like, I mean, if that's part of, if you're from the Philippines and this is something Dude. that you've also heard of, like, if it's some sort of folklore or colloquialism to that area. Don't, don't push me on the water, bro. When it's my time. Don't, okay, bro. Don't, don't lather me up, bro. and push me out there. You got it, bro. I, I, want, I want a lot of heroin. Luck, luckily for you, that was a big jump. That's, I'd rather have a lot of heroin than be pushed out with fish guts on me and get gobbled in the depths. You would rather OD on heroin? Is that yeah. what you're saying? Now, do I take, do I let you like do a lot of heroin, but not too much, a little bit, mm. but not too much. And then do I take you out to Tubbs Hill, which is like a, a hike here, and then push you, like no, give you one, what? wait, hold on, give you one more big shot of heroin and then push you into the ocean it's so unnecessary the, the, ocean, you, the lake, <laughs> lake and no. then you just like float and die but you're like high and you're probably so happy no why can't i just be in a wherever i want to be in a recliner or something why do i have to be pushed out in the water that just sounds so lame because what am i gonna do with the body i don't know the ambulance could come get it <sighs> but i have to like explain well, the... what world do you live in where you feel like you have to like you have to dispose of bodies because <laughs> you're gonna od on heroin there's, there's fucking 911 I feel like an accomplice. Like, oh, you let him do mm. this? It's like assisted suicide. Okay. And then, and then I have to go to jail because you're a fucking asshole who decided to OD on heroin? We went really deep with this. <laughs> we're, just, we're just working through our life plans. That's, all, that's fine. Oh, this good. Is, it's a normal thing for couples to do, to like talk about the mm. end times. Yeah. You know? Well, my end time is not going to be lathered up in fish oil and pushed out into the dark water. I'll tell you that. Um, If I had to choose how to go. Mm-hmm. I think I'm too much of a scaredy cat to go out on drugs. I like something hardcore like heroin. I think I'd rather just uh, fall asleep, like have something that would just like knock me out to like a like peaceful heroin. sleep. I don't like think, heroin. I don't think that heroin gives you a peaceful sleep. Oh, I, I gotta try. You gotta try one of these days. You're gonna try heroin someday, maybe. What? No, you're not. I don't know. If you're trying heroin, we're getting divorced. <laughs> Jesus, that I, was a hard stance. It is a hard stance. What's, why are you such a fucking lameo about heroin? When is that? When has anyone ever had a bad time on heroin? Well, I just am thinking that it's just not a good idea. Can you trust Such a me? Prude. Such Can you a... trust me on this one? All right, June Cleaver. <laughs> Guess I won't do heroin. <laughs> uh, this is where we are. This is where we are. This is where we are. That uh, was those are very diverse stories today. Yeah, I, I, I really like the all over the place. Yeah. Good, good work. Keep sending them in, everybody. Keep more, sending in these more, stories more. from all around the world. Tell us. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and keep an eye out on social media. Uh, here in the coming weeks, we're going to, if you have a, like a little story. Mm, yeah. Yeah, if you have a small story, you know, that you're like, oh, it's not really enough for the show, or it's just kind of like this 
creepy thing that happened to me. It's not really a story. You can still send them in and just um, you can mark it in the subject line like short story or just like right off the rip say like, hey, this is a short story. I know you were asking for them. We are sifting through the stories looking for those and we're going to put them up on social media. They'll either be voiced by somebody from the team or Uh we're going to figure it out. We're we're working on the production value of it now, but mm-hmm. we want to keep giving you some spoopy stories throughout the week, and that's like a great place for us to utilize little stories. So please yep. send them in. And thanks for telling your friends uh, about it. We know that yeah. the show is spreading. Uh, Thank you. So keep sending your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Uh, info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com for everything else. Talk to me. Thanks for listening, watching, Scared to Death, Bad Magic Production. Thanks to the team, Logan and Kate, uh, social media, the talented folks who designed the merch and manage badmagicmerch.com. Yes. Uh, Joe Paisley producing, directing. Zach Flannery also now producing and directing. Zach's doing this episode Uh, today. Good job, Zach. Joe's Joe's taught him well. Thanks to Sophie Evans for finding more creepy stories. And thanks to Paisley, Zach Cohen, Jeffrey Montoya for the sound beds. Heather Rylander for the My Story at Scared to Death Podcast.com emails. Follow us on FB and IG. Oh, look at you. Mm-hmm. Okay. At Scared to Death Podcast. People Sub- call it Insta, actually. Subscribe to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube if you want to watch this show and enjoy your nightmares, creeps, and peepers. Hope you were scared to death. Bye, y'all. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness. And remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through, but has no home here within scared to death. I live by routines, especially my same day delivery routine with shipped. Because when Sunday rolls around, I'm not scared. I got my shopper on the way with all my favorites. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at Shipped.com. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.